Welcome to The Ledger Show. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Christian, and today we have Veronica. Veronica, welcome to The Ledger Show. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. So you are the CFO and Managing Director of Everphone. How did you end up there? That's a fun story. Actually, Everphone is a mobile phone as a service offering that was founded 2016 in Berlin. And at my former venture, we did cars as a service. We've been following each other around. We were funding our devices and our cars with the same lenders, consulted by the same lawyers. And so I knew Jan, our founder, pretty much from the start. I know that at some point he was looking for a new CFO as the former CFO wanted to go back to one of Jan's investors. And so it was a pretty cut timeline. He was leaving on very good terms. And he reached out to me to actually share my CV and brief his headhunters to find someone similar to me. And obviously that search wasn't very successful. So some month later, Jan called and told me, I don't want any substitute. I want the original. Can you please come and do the job as CFO of Everphone? And that's when we started talking in earnest. I've been onboarded since May 2022. So it's close to a year now. And it's been really an exciting ride with the whole team. I see. I mean, it feels like a super interesting journey. How big is the company right now? We're having 300,000 devices out in the market mm -hmm. with more than 1,000 customers and a team of roughly 310 employees working out of Munich, out of Berlin, out of Miami, whereas Berlin is our headquarters and by far the biggest two offices. We're having one office for back office colleagues, which is in Berlin Mitte, and another one that is doing operations, staging of our devices, logistics, re-commerce, return management, and all those things that actually differentiate us from a simple leasing company because we're offering also a full service solution for our customers, which comes with touching the phones, staging them technically, and sending them directly to the users. Okay, so it's, it's more like an end-to-end -end service, not just yes, indeed. leasing yes, okay, indeed. the outdoor. Okay. So we had the pandemic, we had the war, and now we have a sort of, I don't want to call it financial crisis, but we're not far from that with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank just recently, like how is the landscape for a CFO changing? Like, or, like what's your take on this right now? Like what, what are like your top priorities? As you mentioned, CFOs are always the ones that worry a lot. Like Sheryl Sandberg said, the grown up in the room and being grown up also means worrying about today, about tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. So with those multiple crises, like Ukraine war, I also want to mention semiconductor supply chain, which is affecting us, rising interest margins, which are also affecting us. It's been an intense year for startup CFOs. I believe the banking crisis might have stuck the ecosystem far worse than the former crisis. Um, many startups had parked deposits at Silicon Valley Bank UK and US, which luckily are not endangered anymore. My understanding is that they will be refunded by either HSBC or the federal government of the US. However, startups that have lended funds or have entered into, let's say, venture capital agreements with Silicon Valley Bank might not be able to pull those funds, which might in the worst case lead to insolvencies. 
So if someone was affected, that might be their worst fear and the top priority on their mind. Otherwise, in such difficult economic environments, investors mostly shift their priorities away from growth and towards profitability. That's also what we've been doing at Everphone out of our own in the last year. So we've been growing at a very steep pace, over 100% still, but also turning our individual devices, our rental cohorts profitable at the same time in order to improve unit economics. That's pretty interesting. Like, like given the, the kind of work they do with, with the leasing part, the devices, I guess, also interest rate, that they, they play a big part on, you know, lending money and, and paying for devices. So you mentioned that you're trying to focus on profitability. What, what does that mean in your case? Like trying to expand with your current customer, trying to improve your unit of, of, of economics? Actually, we, of course, want to serve current customers wherever they go. So we'll be expanding with them geographically out of Europe, um, over to the US and the like. We want to also deeply integrate into their IT systems and even take over more functionality, thus relieving their internal IT support. We're currently working on a cybersecurity version that might prove very worthwhile to B2B clients. And it would also mean that we are trying, like in a driver tree, to improve each and every component of our service offering. Coming from sourcing until deployment of our services, operations, efficiency, logistics costs, and processes at the end of the life cycle in order to improve each of those components a very tiny little bit, but improve the whole unit economics a very grand step in advance. Okay, so build more sticky products inside a company in a way okay. to expand your presence inside. Okay, and that's maybe a nice comparison to the companies I've worked with before which was full-service automotive leasing and, as said, car subscription. With us, I don't think there's one single factor that will turn the business model profitable, but it's optimizing many factors to reach it. I see. I guess your biggest cost right now is the cost of the device, right? Uh, you mean the capex of acquiring yep. the mobile phones? Well... Cost, yes, in terms of cash out. However, we are able to refinance all those devices by an asset-based financing solution. We have acquired in 2021 a large facility backed by Deutsche Bank in Phoenix that enables us to do so. And we're currently close to closing the next one. Everphone has successfully closed four facilities to date. And so we're looking forward to closing the fifth one. Okay. Like given the current environment, like with so many things changing so rapidly and like yesterday you could trust your bank partner and today you, you need to think in a different way. Like, do you think that new systems or digitalization can help with this or just, okay, we need to start from scratch and we like planning, six month planning doesn't make any sense because we, we work day by day basically. Yeah, planning of course makes sense, even if it's only for evaluating your goal setting and doing it better next time. But I also believe digitalization, especially in investor communication and bank communication can create trust because if reporting is not only a manual process, but a digitized one, 
with a higher reliability, the numbers will stay true and will stay comparable to last month or last quarter's reporting. So digitization is also a security factor. Otherwise, I believe that we have a certain scarcity of talent. So digitizing manual steps and manual tasks such as in accounting, booking invoices, doing payment runs. If we can digitize such tasks that are very repetitive and in a certain way easy to automate, we can free up capacities, we can create a more exciting work environment for our colleagues, and we can, of course, save the cost. Like considering the functions that you have inside them, like under the CFO, basically, where are the things that you would like to like allocate more people because this is like critical and this is like, this is where we need to have more leverage. Like we need to leverage the knowledge of the people instead of something that you mentioned the last time, just moving papers from left to right. <laughs> so in the last year for my department, which is finance, legal and people and culture, it was on the one hand, the second row of leadership. So a director finance, a director legal, a director people and culture. And it was also a team, which I call the gatekeepers, a tax specialist, a risk specialist, a GDPR specialist that is just having our backs and protecting the companies from running into very faulty and ultimately costly positions on which we might be fined. We tried to set up everything as scalable and as efficient as possible. So with that structure in place, we will be probably adding accounts payable, accounts receivable specialists, maybe also reporting specialists as we grow and as the expectations of our investors grow. But I believe throughout Everphone, we've hired much senior talent in order to integrate their experience, in order to profit from thoughts they have already had in the previous job roles. And so adding talent might very well be junior talent or talent that is trained on the job in order to learn how to work the Everphone way. I see. And uh, I mean, compared to, for example, to one year ago, or just a couple of months ago, like how do you do the, how do you plan the HR growth? Like how do you allocate people to different teams? Because now I think that the environment, again, is completely different. So maybe, I don't know, you stop hiring engineers and you said, okay, it's, it's, it makes more sense to focus on legal or compliance, for example. I guess the easy answer would be we hire according to budget, which is the most difficult answer because the budget says one thing and the actual demand of the different departments might vary. So we have a very detailed planning for growth roles which actually says once we're adding a sales agent, they will become profitable after such so-and-so many months, they will scale customers and they will lead to enhanced delivery of phones after such and such months and, and it will be so many after three months. That's very easy. If we plan our growth, we know how many sales agents we have to add three months prior. On the other roles, it's a pretty manual planning. So we align with the different teams and ask them what is their intended setup for the next year and allocate growth accordingly. Usually we strive to be efficient, which is with a 10% growth, we need to have a staff growth of less than 10%, which we have achieved through all stages of Everphone. So that's also how our planning works for 2025 and beyond. 
in that region, we usually don't ask our department managers to plan because simply making assumptions now for 2025 is probably as accurate as just giving a rough percentage number for employee growth overall and allocating it later to the departments once we are at a stage where we can do detailed planning. Also, departments are always free to offset. So if they say, I'd rather hire a senior than two juniors, or I'd rather do this and that work with a technical system that costs roughly the same as two junior roles, they are free to do so. We can swap cost positions as long as we meet our budget overall. Okay, so you have a quite flexible budget, like people can operate within the budget, but they're quite flexible what they can do with them. Okay, that's quite interesting. D do you think that you help the companies switch into a mindset where, okay, it's not just growth. We also need to think about other things. So it's not that we can grow 10% and also do they hiring 10%. Do you think it was like a natural evolution or you had to? I communicate that daily, maybe hourly. <laughs> I, I fear to be the one that is the naysayer. On the other hand, that's probably a role that comes naturally to a CFO. And speaking of gatekeepers earlier, we have made a budget. We have committed to that budget with our investors. And so it's my job to make sure that we meet it. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, I mean, like you said, usually finance people are seen like the gatekeepers, but I mean, there's good reason for that. It's, it's hard to run a business with no cash in the bank. So you mentioned that you have some priorities for yeah, digitizing some of the functionalities like account payables, account receivable. I guess you're pretty heavy on payments operation. For example, you need to receive payments from your customers. Maybe you have also payments out. Like, is it something that you plan to also automate in case like, are you going to buy something? Are you going to build something? What's your take on building the specialities inside or buying the specialities? I guess a buy and build decision is pretty standardized as long as there is a solution that can be bought for a standard problem. One should probably buy it just because another company has made that innovation. They have all the knowledge that is necessary for operating that solution compliantly and efficiently. And just rebuilding what they offer cannot be cost efficient and is also a waste of internal payment and internal talent. So whenever my problem exists within other industries or within other companies. I tend to look for storeboard solutions that can be customized. Spend management, travel management would be good examples for this. Whenever it's a unique problem, such as some of our data products, no one else has them. So obviously, they are fostering our unique business model, and that's why we are proud to build them in-house. We might even think of exploiting them externally as a second stop, but we have the knowledge how to do it. We have to tailor them uniquely to our business, maybe also to other systems in which data is stored or in which um, people work. And that's when we would ask our internal tech team to scope a solution in close collaboration with the finance department in our case and deliver on it to make it really a unique fit to our other systems and to our work. Okay. So you think there is a chance for the finance team to get access to basically tech resources from? Yeah, we have to urgently. Okay. We do have a dedicated team. I'm very proud that we have. 
it's never enough. Obviously, we could do so much more if we only had like 10 more techies working with us. But for now, we're satisfied that we made big improvements last years from invoicing runs to automatic controls. And we will, of course, continue to do so. That's, that's quite fascinating. Like, um, so these are people that they report to the CTO or to the line managers of the CTO. Okay. CTO and partially CPO. He's the one who's helping us to scope out topics and to also, you know, fit them into a grander scheme. Oftentimes our finance improvements would be also client facing, such as invoicing, such as setup of customer organizations. And in that way, our CPO serves as a quality gate. We really not only vet adding value internally, but also to our clients by doing what we requested. That's so, yeah, that, that's, that's super fascinating. Like having finance people working closely with tech people and building products together. I, I love I, it. I guess, and it's, yeah. Digital finance is just something that can make a difference in a modern and secure and efficient environment. So I'd heavily urge everyone to look into their options. Can you share a little bit more about the setup? Like, do you have like recurring meetings together? Because you're also one of the stakeholders of whatever they're going to build, because then it relates to finance somehow, whether it's invoicing or receiving payments. Like, So yes, there are alignment meetings. Usually those would be the big ones where we talk about a strategic development and strategic features we want to add to the system. And whenever the time comes, there will be breakout meetings with all stakeholders that are very much into that specific process and can brief the tech team on how to do it. Also, we work a lot with asynchronous communication at Everphone. So we have Slack channels on which we get informed by new features or on which we can report back any bugs. Those are happening. That's the way it is. So that can be done without stealing everyone's time with a meeting, but rather reporting back, screenshotting back and solving it that way. Before moving to the closing notes, Veronica, I wanted to ask you a question. Like, do you have any suggestion to new head of finance or new here for that they just got into new role with, you know, a, a bank crisis and all these, you know, fast moving things and they, they really don't know, okay, what, what I'm supposed to do? I'd actually say prepare and prepare even better than ever before. Um, a team of CFOs who all started their new roles in the course of last year wrote a white paper on that. It's called the 101st days of a CFO. You find it linked on my LinkedIn profile. That might be a good read. There is a book called, I'm, I'm just looking at my book's shelf, 91st days of a leader, which is great for someone coming new into an organization, but also for someone stepping up from a normal team member to leadership, which helps to prepare, which helps to scope out questions to ask to the team and to one superior in order to define goals and development goals to meet after those first 90 days. Otherwise, I believe everyone who has already done a similar job can be confident to be able to handle also well in a new organization some matters and also that cash crisis, a potential funding crisis is something many of us have seen before, such as in 2008 Lehman Brothers bank crisis. That's when I worked at McKinsey and had to do risk management and liquidity management calculations or with a funding crisis during COVID. 
where many of us had to be cre creative and make ends meet in terms of cash. So it's just situations repeating, even though the external factor influencing might be different. Okay, so just get ready for the worst and, and then try to use your network, your peer network, if you have friends or people that are working in the same environment. Yes, and getting your team behind you fast. You will never make it alone, but if you can use your team to collaborate with you, to support you, to give your best for your common goals, that's the real success factor in any environment. Okay. I'm going to also put in the show notes your your guide about the 100 days first. Uh, Very welcome to. Yeah, I think it's super useful, especially right now. So, Veronica, are you ready for rapid fire questions? Fire away. Yep. So what is the best piece of career advice that you have ever received? It comes from my first boss after consulting and still my mentor. And he says, if someone believes you are ready for that role, you probably are, regardless of what you yourself think. I was very insecure back then. And he proposed to me the job as yeah a back office lead and also one of the parties that would, would do a management buyout. And I was so very insecure. I said, I can't do it without you. I don't want to be the only finance person in the new venture. I don't want to be authorized signatory. I, I, I just want to continue my job and working under you and basically not worry about those new developments. And he said, well, I believe you're ready to make the jump. And so I did. And indeed, it worked out. That's a good one. So, uh, what book would you recommend to our audience? As we're talking today, it's definitely those first 90 days. Otherwise, I've just recently read Nudge, so a book that is elaborating on libertarian paternalism, very difficult word for a non-native, and it's showing us how to push people toward a desired outcome. I've tried it recently, so we were having our employee feedback survey and didn't reach as high numbers as I would have hoped for in my team. And I tried to apply one of the principles, such as nine out of 10 team members have completed that survey. What about you? And it works like a charm every time again. It's just a mixture of business sense and psychology. It's fun to read. It's insightful to read. And it might also yeah, give you some additional tools on how to influence people and how to convince people to commit for something for the greater good. And once again, the, the book title is Nudge, right? The book title is Nudge. I guess it's okay. out from the second edition. Um, I'm going to write a re review soon. That's why that book immediately sprang to my mind. Okay. Uh, what's one of your main passions outside of work? There are so many. So I'm living on the countryside. That's why I have two cats and 10 chicken and a hedgehog and bees. So gardening and animals is definitely part of it. I love cooking. As I love cooking and eating so much, I also have to love running to lose all that calories. I'm currently trying to go to longer runs now. I was once competing in ultra marathons, which I currently can't due to my back, but I'm back to half marathon and hope to do a full one in, in fall of this year. See, 
Is there any country that you plan to visit this year? Actually, I don't intentionally plan anything. I guess I will be back to our U.S. subsidiary in Miami. There will be a big structured finance conference in Barcelona, so Spain, sometime in June or July. That's also on the travel list. And for hiking purposes, we're oftentimes driving over to Austria, which is roughly a one-hour drive from where we live. So that's certainly on the list without really being a travel destination, but rather a weekend drive. I see. What is the name of the conference in Barcelona? I'd have to Google that one. Isn't it Structured Finance, Structured Finance Barcelona? Okay. I guess that's yeah. the one. Okay. And last question. Is there anything you're learning right now? Any Much. specific book? Or... So the biggest learning last year was definitely LinkedIn. I was never active in marketing. It was always a bit of obscure of what you had to do to be successful. When starting at Everphone, our then marketing lead pushed me towards being, if you want, so corporate influencer. I had a great coach to start me off, to set up my profile, to pre-word my first 10 posts. And then was basically handling on my own. I was reading many books, getting some advice, having an accountability group with some other finance leads. And so summing up all that knowledge will be another task of mine. It's been great just because the way of thinking is so very different from that, that structured and linear and rigid finance way, just saying, have fun, play with the algorithm. You can do whatever, but you never know the outcome. This has taught me much more than a factual knowledge, but also kind of, let's say, playfulness. And of course, the great joy of content writing and of not only writing scientific papers, but also real digestible pieces of advice and of, of leadership rules and stuff. Yeah, that's quite cool. I mean, I also follow you on LinkedIn and yeah, that, it really feels like you're doing great there. Thanks. Okay. So if people want to find out more about Everphone, they can visit the website, everphone.com. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? I guess it would be indeed LinkedIn. I also have a personal homepage, which you can find by typing in my very long and very complicated name, but LinkedIn is the quicker way, actually. I also going to put your personal website in the show notes. So uh, Please people do. will have yeah, an easy way to access it. Okay. So Veronica, thank you very much for joining me today. It was a pleasure and wishing you the best. Thanks for having me, Chris. See you all soon. Cheers. Bye-bye.